0: And I've got it on page 80 in my Bible. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Every January, uh, the the Hollywood Foreign Press hosts the the Golden Globes awards at the uh, the Beverly Hilton in Southern California. And uh, this year, uh, the comedian Jim Carrey, from such uh, timeless classics as Dumb and Dumber, and uh, Ace Ventura, pet detective, uh, the comedian Jim Carrey, he came up to introduce the nominees in the category of best motion picture comedy. And uh, as they do in these award shows, as, as Jim Carrey's walking up to the podium to, uh, to introduce the nominees, the, the guy over the loudspeaker says, uh, and now two-time Golden Globe winning actor, Jim Carrey. <laughs> Jim Carrey walks up to the the mic and he says, thank you, thank you. I am two-time Golden Globe winning actor, Jim Carrey. He smiles, kind of his trademark smile, looking at everybody. And he says, you know, when I go to bed at night, I'm not just some guy going to bed. I'm two-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey getting some well-needed shut-eye. And he looks at the crowd and he smiles. And he says, when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, he said, when I dream, I dream of being three-time Golden Globe winning actor Jim Carrey. Because then, he says, then I would be enough. And I could stop this terrible search for what I know won't ultimately fulfill me. He's smiling. And he looks at everybody in the audience he says, but these are important, these awards. He says, I, I don't want you to think that Just because if you blew up our solar system, you wouldn't be able to see us or any of human history with the naked eye. He smiles. He says, but from our perspective, this is huge. Jim Carrey understands the problem with coveting. He knows the dead end of always wanting the one thing you don't have. The number of actors who have won a Golden Globe uh, in history would fit pretty comfortably in this room. Uh, The number of actors in history who have won two Golden Globes would fit pretty comfortably in the first row of this church. To win two Golden Globes makes you not just successful, it makes you mind-bogglingly successful. Jim Carrey is successful beyond most of our abilities to imagine. He has more money than he could possibly spend. He has power and influence. There is virtually nothing he cannot have. And the joke, of course, is that the difference between winning two Golden Globes and winning three Golden Globes is a difference that is meaningless to virtually every person alive in the world. A difference almost no one even thinks about, except for a very small handful of people who happen to gather every January at the Beverly Hilton for an award show. And this small handful is so elite, they are so successful, they are so much more powerful than virtually anybody else that you cannot help but ask, what could a person like this possibly believe is missing from their life? And yet Jim Carrey puts his finger on what almost no one in the room would ever say out loud. And he reveals That winning a Golden Globe, which I imagine for an actor starting out seems like it would be the the sort of validation that their whole life and career was really worth it. Jim Carrey reveals that winning a Golden Globe does not end your terrible search to be enough. And neither does winning two, And yet... In a part of our hearts that we don't like to name, somewhere deep down, we still believe that even though winning one didn't work, and even though winning two didn't work, maybe, just maybe, winning a third one will do the trick. What's wrong with the human heart? You know, we can, have, we can have health and we can have wealth that most of the world can't imagine. I mean, they just can't even imagine it. And we will still find a way to be dissatisfied. I mean, right? we're bombarded constantly with messages telling us that we're missing out on something. right? That we're just one car or one gadget or one diet or one promotion away from ending this terrible search and finally feeling like we are enough. And then every time, am I right? Every time we actually get that thing, that thing we so badly wanted that somebody else had, we discover that there's something else that we want now. And that the last thing wasn't enough. You know, we can look at our lives and by almost any measure, it can be great. You know, and if you had asked maybe five years ago, you know, what do you, want, what do you want from your life? And maybe everything is just as you had hoped. You got a career and a house and a family. And yet, inevitably, somehow, some way, and it usually doesn't take very long, you will find the one thing that somebody else has. That you don't have. And that one thing will make you miserable. I mean, think of the first sin in the Bible. So the serpent is like like talking to Eve and convinces her to eat the, the fruit, right? And where was Eve living at the time? The Garden of Eden, right? What was the Garden of Eden like? Oh, yeah, it was paradise right? I mean, no sin, no struggle, no pain, no death, no suffering. She lacked for nothing. And yet she was convinced that she was missing out. And the rest is history, right? You can have it all. You can literally be in paradise. And the human heart will still find a way to be dissatisfied. We'll still find that one thing somebody else has that I want, and it'll make you miserable. Maybe you're thinking, well, okay. You know, we've spent the last two months talking about things like adultery and murder and stealing. You really want me to be worried about coveting? I mean, sure, it's not ideal to be dissatisfied like that. But is this even in the same league as that other stuff? I mean, the other stuff can hurt people, right? But I could be coveting right now, and nobody in this room would even know it. I mean, you could covet every day of your life and and never hurt a soul, right? Because it's an internal thing. Uh, Coveting is very private, right? So what do you care What's going on in my heart? Well, I'll tell you, the reason I care what's going on in your heart is because I have found that what starts in your heart almost never stays in your heart. So at first you're just a little bit jealous that uh, this friend of yours has gone on some nice vacations. Um, But before long, you start saying things about that friend that you would never normally say. You'll be in a conversation with someone, and and you'll let slip. You'll say, oh, you didn't hear? Oh, yeah, she's on vacation again. Can you believe it? I know. I mean, you start monitoring her social media, right? Her Instagram account drives you crazy, right, with pictures of, like, the beach and sunsets. But you can't look away. And before long, your resentment about that stupid vacation has shifted, and you start resenting her. You gossip about her. Next time your friends get together, you don't invite her to come along. You do things you would never normally do. And it all started with just a little thing in your heart just the smallest sense that she had something that you wanted. You see how it builds? I mean, how do you think stuff like adultery and stealing and lying, where do you think those things start? I mean, almost nobody wakes up in the morning out of the blue and is like, you know what? This just feels like an adultery day today. I just, doesn't it just seem like just the perfect day for that? No, it starts somewhere, right? And it probably started somewhere small, right? Just this tiny seed of so many sins I think is coveting letting yourself become miserable because you don't have what she has you know when we covet we reveal this condition of our heart and it's not good it's not good it's bitter it's nasty and it leads to places you just do not want to go Fortunately, uh, people have remedies for this kind of thing. So, you know, if you've got this problem with your heart, some people will say, like, first thing you've got to do is you have to compare down. Okay, so uh, you've got to notice how much better off you are than a bunch of other people, right? Like, compare down. That's one approach. Another approach, count your blessings, right? Instead of focusing on the things that you don't have, be thankful for the things you do have. And, you know, when we compare down or when we count our blessings, what we're betting on is that what we need to sort of fix this coveting problem is we need a change of perspective. I think that's true. I think our perspective is skewed most of the time. Uh, and we're, we're often just completely self-focused, right? We, we have very little sense of perspective beyond our own, like, small world or beyond our own sort of small circle of friends. Like, that's the end of our reality for us. Certainly, we need better perspective. And there's this study that came out um, a little while ago that, that found that people's happiness, they sort of measure people's happiness, you know, and they found that people's happiness plateaued at around $70,000 a year of annual family income. So the person who makes $700,000 a year, the person who makes $7 million a year, is not measurably happier than the person who just makes seventy. dollars thousand dollars a year and you might say there it is i mean it just goes to show right what you need is perspective money isn't everything right look at how people drive themselves crazy in pursuit of more and more wealth that studies show will not make them happy that's true i think a better perspective is going to be important um, we need to be vigilant vigilant about even like those little thoughts that kind of simmer in our hearts. I I think coveting will just really mess you up more than anything else. But this morning, I want to change gears just a little bit. And I want to suggest to you that there might be another problem related to to coveting that might even be worse. And this problem isn't really a... It's not exactly a condition of the heart. it's It's more about the condition of this world. So according to that study, uh, happiness plateaus at about $70,000 a year. Uh, and so there's not really a difference between making seventy dollars or eighty dollars or ninety dollars or $100,000. Um, but you know what makes a difference? Actually, kind of a big difference. There is a big difference in happiness between making $70,000 a year and making $17,000 a year. There's a big difference. I think one of the issues behind coveting and something we need to name is that our society is not very equal. And there's some who have a lot. There's some who have enough. And there's a lot of people who have very little. What I'm trying to say is that there's a lot of people, even in this community, but especially around the world, whose lives are really, really, really hard. There are some who have a hard time comparing down because there's just not really that many people who are worse off than them. And I think the biggest problem in a case like that might not be that somebody might want more than they have. I think the bigger problem might be that that person really just needs more than they have. You know, sometimes we'll go to a country that's kind of poor, and uh, and the local people will greet us warmly and smile and laugh and tell us these great stories. And we'll go home and we'll say something like, "You know, they're poor, but they're just so happy." Yeah. And you know, if that trip if that trip motivates you to uh, simplify your life and not covet so much and give lots of money and time away, God bless you. But. uh I don't know, let's, let's be real for a minute. Um, that smiling poor person, uh, she will almost certainly die younger than you. Uh, her health will be worse than your health. Uh, her stress will be greater. Her kids will be poorer. Her government is more likely to exploit her. Her police are more likely to abuse her. You know, in some situations, telling someone they've got a problem with coveting might just be a way to deflect attention from the fact that you've got a lot more privileges than that person. And a big part of covetousness, it's probably this malformed heart, which is something I think we all share. But boy it rings a little hollow when the rich guy tells the poor guy who's asking for food or medicine or just equal justice. When the poor guy tells the rich when the rich guy tells the poor guy he's got a coveting problem. And this This is why the Bible doesn't just describe the church as a community where we don't covet. So it does describe us that way. But it also describes the church as a community of radical sharing and an almost obsessive fixation on caring for, including, befriending, and serving the most vulnerable among us. So the Bible says things like serve one another, and love one another, and be devoted to one another, and be kind to one another, and build one another up. Sensing a theme. Is this a part of your life? I mean, what does this look like in your life, even in this community, or in the world around you? Radical sharing. Radical sharing. Steady concern for the vulnerable. Do we even notice? Are we even paying attention? You see, it's a lot easier not to covet when you're a part of a community that is so dedicated to loving and caring for you. You see how when the church is operating the way it's supposed to, it really just cuts the legs out of coveting. And when it's not, coveting has all kinds of room to grow. But uh, there are limits, aren't there? You know, we could be the most radical sharing community in history. There'd still be inequality here. Someone will get sick and someone else won't. Someone will have kids, someone else won't be able to. Someone will die young and another person won't. It's not fair. Certainly not equal. Life is really hard that way, even if you're a Christian. Now, I think being a community like the one the Bible describes, I think it's going to sort of ease some of the pain of that inequality. But it won't take it away. Uh, Not in even the greatest community. uh, Not in this lifetime. If you want to end that terrible search, uh, if you want to finally be enough, the answer is obviously not a third Golden Globe. Or a new job. Or a smiling family. Uh, these things are fine. They're often very good. But they will not ultimately satisfy you. And neither will the church. Just warning. <laughs> um, the church will disappoint you. I guarantee it. If it hasn't happened yet, it'll happen soon. And even, you know, I find a lot of people, they, they sort of put their hope in being enough and being a really good person. They try really hard. they're going to like the right causes and they're going to volunteer at the right time with the right people and the right amounts. But I got to tell you, even that, that pursuit of being a good person, even that will disappoint you. Um, you will find I, I mean, I've found this. you will find in yourself that even in your best efforts, there are these inconsistencies. You kind of got these mixed motives. See, I believe that if you want to end that terrible search, if you want to be finally enough, you don't need some project to do. You don't need more possessions, certainly. You need to know that you belong to God. You need to know just just what Miss Mary was talking about earlier what we're going to see at this table in a minute, you need to know that Jesus Christ died for you. That He bought you with a price. It was costly. But He paid that price for you. And you belong to Him. You need to know that when you are His, there's nothing. Your your family can be a failure. Your church can be a disappointment. Your attempt to do good can totally blow up in your face. Even that, there is nothing that will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray uh, for the seeds of sin that sort of take root in our hearts. And uh, they might start really small, but they have a way of growing. And Lord, we pray that you would root them out. Lord, we pray that we would be a community of generosity, and radical sharing. And Lord, even even when we fail at that, we pray that our ultimate comfort would come from this sure truth. That when we put our faith in you, we are a part of your family. You pay the ultimate price to show us your love, and there is nothing that will be able to separate us from that love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.